recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Chris Virginia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, June 1st, 2013. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. Today we're going to, um, that, there's a few things I'd like to talk about first. First, I would like to thank all of those people kind enough and, and, and um, who, who believe in this message to the point that they support and, and, and help keep Christagonia.org going from month to month. It, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a gift I can only praise Yahweh for, that, that my operation it is um, successful enough to pay the bills and the overhead and to be able to continue um, and, and to continue getting the, mess- the message out there to the point that we have been able to do what which I am actually greatly humbled by. It's um, Christagenia.org has been getting over 20,000 visitors each month um, since, since well, well, since practically early last summer, I mean, it's been growing every year. We were getting um, what we were averaging 17,000, 18,000 a month a year ago, and now we're averaging 20,000 a month. We peaked at 25,000 a month in January and February, where a year ago we peaked at 21,000 a month during those months. It, it's, um, we dip every spring in April, May, and June, that's been true for the last four years, and and then in July and August, we, we are able to surpass the number of visitors that we had the previous winter, and, and we've been able to do that four years running. So, so I, I thank God for that. The the um the the real um I, I believe the real measurement of our effectiveness and and believe me I know that Christogenia and and the two seed line Christian identity message are never going to be popular uh, I I would really think that I was um traveling the wrong path if they ever became popular well, under any circumstances but let me say that I just aim to be effective. And I think that one measurement of how effective Christogenia is, is that the number of our podcast downloads increased, has increased every single month for the last um, 12 months running. Last summer, it was running about 50,000 per month. We reached 60,000 per month um, three months and two months ago. And last month, there were 84,004 podcast downloads from org alone. There were another 19,000 podcast downloads from the Montcalm site and the Saxon Messenger site. That doesn't include um, – that, that only includes material which is produced – at Christagenia.org by myself or, or by myself in concert with my guest hosts, such as Brian. Hello, Brian. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and other people who are here uh, on occasion, people who occasionally fill in. That's only Christagenia content. And so I just wanted to say, you know, the truth's not meant to be popular, and the truth is supposed to be a dividing force in our lives. We're even told, too, that 
Christ was come to set mother at variance against daughter, husband against wife, father against son, you know, in-laws against their um, their their children's spouse, and that whoever does not put him ahead of anybody else is not worthy of him. Well, well, that's absolutely correct. I, I just like to um, inform the people that listen to and support Christogenia of, of how effective we are in spreading our message. Uh, I think that the um, it me- me- measured in terms of, of cost versus um, how well we're able to get our message out, I think that we, we've we been very effective. Uh, I right. praise Yahweh right. for that, and, and that's all I have to say. But the, um, I, I never dreamed that, that I never dreamed that I would get 100,000 podcast downloads in a single month, which we did in, in May. And and these are not – they're not um, all of the latest programs. There are actually over 300 podcasts last month that were downloaded over 100 times. And the top 10 – I'll read off the top 10. Paul Basher's Part 19, 1291 – the Racist Right, a program I did based on an editorial I wrote, and a program I did with Mike Delaney, 1,256. Um, Paul Basher's Part 16, what, which you missed, Brian, I'm sorry, what, which had 1,101. Paul Basher's Part 20, 802. Um, the, the, one of the segments that I had done on... 10, 10, 10 on, on, on the um, October 10, 2010, on the Christian founding of the United States. The third segment, the third part of that, had 765 downloads. Um, Eli James, Universalist, the, the program we did um, three months ago or two months ago here had 764 downloads. Um, the Munich, the, the Munich March, the commemoration of the Munich March, the program we did together, Brian, that had 700 downloads last month. Um, the program I did with David Bailey on Blog Talk Radio and posted on Christagenia had 519. And, and, and well, well, that's the top eight. That's good enough. But people can see how, um, how many podcasts, in order to get 84,000 podcast downloads, that there are an awful lot of podcast downloads with over 50 and over 100 and over 200. So, so it's really um, fairly spread out. A lot of the work that we did a year and two years ago are, is still being downloaded um, like we did it yesterday, which is good, and, and it's still effective. And the Amos series, for instance, there, there were 10 segments. They now have over 12,000 downloads between them. Well, you know, it seems to me that the people who want to turn this into a popularity contest and water down the message, they're not doing too well because their half-truths, their distortions, their fabrications and lies just don't resonate with the sheep. And we're feeding the sheep the truth, and that resonates with them. And that's why we're not fighting a popularity contest, but we're still more popular. Well, well right. I, I would never try to, to, to pursue what I do just in order to be popular, I, 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 would, I, I could do much more profitable things with my time if I were just sitting here um, deceiving myself. 
and 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 that's just the truth. I I mean, I could go and 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 probably pursue gainful employment out in the world if I wanted to join myself to the world. And and being popular ha- has never been my goal. It's being effective, and, and I believe that Christagenia has been able to be. Um, I think the numbers show that we've been very effective, and I I just like to inform the people who support us and the people who listen to us of that so that we could share that with them and, and they can know. It, it's, um, I, 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 Christian identity is never going to be a popular message. If I ever become wealthy, I, I beg you to shoot me. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I ever become wealthy trying to sell the truth, please shoot me. It, it, it's just not supposed to happen. Well, what if you, um, I don't know, win a poker game or win the lottery? Well, well, right, but but being a Christian, I'll never be playing the lottery or poker. That the um, <clears throat> that the um, I, I'm humbled and, and thankful to God that we're able to get the message out to the point we are. And a hundred thousand podcast downloads last month. I, I, well, 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 I'm just tickled with that. And, and and very thankful. So so that's the state of Christagenia, and and um that that's how we're doing. The the Paul Basher series has been um very popular. It, it's really been a a, a relaxed. Uh, I think it, it's a relaxed um atmosphere, and and I don't know why, but it's been more popular than than my Amos and my Axe programs and programs that I put a, a whole lot more effort into. In order to produce, so so I'm actually even a little envious, right? Um, but no, it's it's been popular, and and it's it's also been a good vehicle to um, use to discuss a whole lot of things that that perhaps we may not otherwise get the opportunity to discuss. So it it has its pluses too. This is part 21 of our series addressing the Paul Bashing articles of Clayton Douglas. Here we shall commence with our address of Douglas's second Paul Bashing article, which he didn't really write, right? Entitled Saul of Tarsus and His Doctrine of Lawlessness, <clears throat> which he published in the January 2004 edition of his Free American News Magazine. Douglas, while attempting to discredit Paul of Tarsus, instead consistently discredits himself by making all sorts of, of false accusations, inconsistent statements, um, conflicting fantastic accounts, which are basically fabricated out of um, thin air. It, it, it's incredible some of the lies that, that have been produced in this series in the name, in these articles, which he produced in the name of scholarship. I mean, they're not scholarship at all. It's, it's just an incredible lies. And and his denial that Christ was the Messiah, his denial of the um, death and resurrection of Christ and their importance, and and his denial of many other aspects of Christianity show that he's just a whore for the Jew. He's a vehicle used by the Jew who who was anti-Christian from from the beginning, and, and the ideas which are encapsulated throughout Clayton Douglas's Paul bashing material are ideas which which are promoted by 
and, and, and favor Judaism. And, and it was the same thing with Graver's Paul bashing material. It, it was basically um, very Judaistic in nature, and, and it, it reflected positions which the Jews have held since, concerning Christianity since the very first century. Well, how could they claim, the author of this article, that Jesus was lost to us forever? Only a Sadducee could write those words. Well, well, right, absolutely. And, and, and statements like that throughout Douglas's Paul bashing material show that, that the, the attitude of the writers, the real writers of the material, it is a very Jewish attitude. It, it right. reflects Jewish values and Jewish beliefs. And it's not just that Douglas is in bed with the enemy. He is the enemy. Well, well absolutely. But, but he also... He, he also fooled um, plenty enough um, supposedly patriotic identity Christians to the point where we have to address this material, and, and that's why we've done this. All right. Reference 68. Sure. Douglas states, Regarding the Dead Sea Scrolls, there is reportedly a central character consistently referred to as the windbag, the spouter of lies, the comedian, and even the man of scoffing. Who is the central character we are being warned about? Who is the comedian? Yeah, yeah right. Well, this is, Doug, this Douglas is the comedian. Yeah, Douglas is the comedian. That these, that these appellations are just invented. These appellations do not exist in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That this is that this is what the Jews call panache, or, or um, that there's another word for it too. I, I don't I don't have it right now because I don't have a real good Jewish vocabulary, I guess. But but th- th- this this is ballsy. I I, I mean to to just um, make these claims that these ridiculous appellations exist in the Dead Sea Scrolls, no matter who they're, that they're supposedly aimed at, that this is incredible. That there's no windbag or comedian in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That, that's, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't care whose edition you read, you're not going to read um, such appellations. Not maybe un, un, unless one of Douglas's Jewish comedians translated the Dead Sea Scrolls at, at some point or other. Douglas's um, contentions concerning the Dead Sea Scrolls and Paul of Tarsus hold up only if one is led to believe that the Qumran sect members were Christians, and that's been done. That there are actually a lot of um, a lot of fools in, in Christian identity who have tried to uphold the idea separately from Paul bashing, totally separately from Paul bashing, who have tried to uphold the idea that the, the members of the Qumran sect were Christian and were even Essenes, and, and neither case is true. Neither case is true. And, and once one realizes that the, by reading, by actually reading the Dead Sea Scrolls, that the, the Dead Sea Scrolls are not Christian, and, and that the writers knew nothing of Christianity in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They knew nothing of Christ. That then these, have, that these contentions can't possibly hold up. 
if the Dead Sea Scrolls aren't Christian, that then the liar and, and the man of the lie and those appellations do exist in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that, that they can't possibly be referring to any Paul of Tarsus or to any other Christian or non-Christian figure um, related to Christianity because the Dead Sea Scrolls writers weren't Christian. But, but it's amazing that Douglas or, or whoever wrote these articles actually tried to... That, that those appellations, the man of the lie, are, are references to the people who are forever opposed to Yahweh our God in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, to Satan or the adversary, if you will, at one time or another, the enemies of Christ, the enemies of Israel, the enemies of God. That's who this man of the lie refers to. It, it could be any scoffer or enemy of God or child of the devil all down through history that these appellations actually do refer to in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Any Canaanite or any Edomite that was in Judea in the time of David and, and opposed to Israel or, or at the time of Micah and opposed to Israel. But when these epithets were used, by the, the, the people that, that were making commentaries on, um, on, on the Old Testament scriptures. But it's amazing to me that Douglas would take that man of the lie that actually does um, exist in the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and try to claim that that person is also called, or that entity, I should say, is also called the windbag or the comedian. That's what Douglas does. That, that, that's a, that, that's, it, it, he's turning um he he's turning his own anti paul articles into a joke that that's what he did he did it himself all right reference sixty nine douglas states however it takes more for a matter to be true than to have a charismatic man traveling around, getting paid big money to say that lawlessness justified by faith is truth. How convenient a message to literally sell to the lawless Roman pagans, literally goyim. Are you still happy to be stupid cattle? And I wonder, why, why does he have to put man in quotes? Is, is he now alleging that Paul was only a so-called man and that Paul wasn't really a man? Well, well, he did accuse Paul of homosexuality and... and, and um... So maybe maybe Paul was really a woman who just dressed up as a man. Right. The the lawlessness accusation has has absolutely no um basis at all. In in fact, Paul commended the Romans for for founding a society based on the rule of law in Romans chapter two. In Romans chapter three, Paul encouraged the Roman Christians to uphold the law of God. And and, and in um and a lot of Christians don't understand this passage. And, and I was looking at this passage the other day for another reason. In Romans 13.10, Paul says that love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, that passage can be read either way. It, it, it is not improper in translating that passage from Greek to read it either way, and that is because all of the nouns are, are of the nominative case, and neither of them are neither of the two nouns, either law or love, are of the accusative case. That the um, 
Love is the fulfilling of the law. It could be also read, as it is in the Christianian New Testament, that the fulfillment of the law is love. And Paul isn't telling people that if you love, you don't need the law. What Paul is telling people is that keeping the law is love. Keeping the law is real love. It, it's, it, it's been established um, in, in, in my Matthew presentation on, on the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount that the real peacemakers in Scripture are those who uphold and, and maintain the laws of God. And Paul is telling the Romans that the keeping of the law, that is love, that's why Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's ridiculous, and, and again, it's basically, Douglas is expanding on his novel by calling Paul a charismatic man, traveling around, getting paid big money. He's basically trying to draw Paul after the model of today's televangelists, right? And, and it just doesn't wash. The, the, um, it, it's certainly not historically true. The, um, the accusation that Paul was disregarding the laws of God has been discussed throughout the series many times. And, and, um, and Paul's position on the law and on faith have been responded to at great length. And, and um, it, it's not neat at this point to go through them all again. We, we've done it throughout the entire series, and it would take another 20 segments to do it correctly again. It, it's, um, Paul was not teaching or promoting lawlessness. And, and notice Douglas's use and his definition of the term goyim here. And, of course, goyim is a Hebrew word. It's the plural of goy. It means nation, or, or goyim means nations. Abraham was told that his descendants would be a great nation, a great and mighty nation, and, and that they would be a nation and a company of nations. Yet, Douglas's definition of goyim here comes from the colloquy of the Jews and their Talmud. He is defining this word goyim. He, he's using it in the manner that the Jews would use the word. And, and it betrays that, that this accusation against Paul was written from a Jewish perspective. Well, that's fitting because he's following the Jews. Well, well Absolutely. Well, well, the terms that a man uses when, when, when he makes accusations, the terms he uses and the manner in which he uses them reflect the, the materials that he chooses to read. It, it reflects the ideas and the opinions that he's following. And, and throughout Douglas's, um, throughout both articles, we could see that the person that wrote these is writing from a Jewish perspective with a heavily Jewish influence. Absolutely. Reference 70A, Douglas states, the new Pauline doctrine of lawlessness. Paul has a lot to say, but little or no scripture to back it up. It sounds like Douglas is describing himself here. <laughs> Likewise, 
he seems to either have been ignorant of or blatantly hiding the words contradictory to his own that Jesus spoke. Uh, again, I wonder, is Douglas referring to Paul or himself? He claims to preach the gospel, and even the new gospel, yet he speaks little or nothing at all about the actual life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus Christ. Once again, it, it seems like Douglas is referring to himself. In typical Jewish fashion, he accuses others of what he himself is actually doing. Right. Instead, he writes about his new doctrine of lawlessness and spends most of the rest of his epistles defending his violation of the Torah. This should be a great warning to us. Well, well, you know, anybody who's really learned in Scripture and reads Douglas's material should realize that Clayton Douglas is the spouter of lies in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And Clayton Douglas is the comedian. It, it can be proven that the person that wrote this article is the spouter of lies and the comedian. <laughs> Without a doubt. I'm saying that tongue, rather tongue-in-cheek, right? Yeah, you know, there, there, in in the in Paul's epistles to the Romans, there's over sixty direct quotes of the Old Testament in Paul's epistle to the Romans. A lot of them having to do with the up the law and upholding the law, and that doesn't include the the um, allusions and indirect references, so, such as Romans one thirty two, what where it says that those not only who accept. Paul's basically saying in Romans 132 that not only those who accept sexually deviant behavior should should die, those who perform it, but those who accept those who perform it, they should also die. And 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 Paul makes many other indirect references to the law of the Old Testament in Romans. But there are 60 direct quotes of the Old Testament in Paul's epistle to the Romans alone. And and there were probably more than that in, in 1 Corinthians. Several chapters in the, in, in the epistle to Romans, chapters 4 through 9, were all about the Old Testament. Clayton Douglas is just a liar building on a novel. It, it You know, all of this sounds good. Everything that Douglas writes sounds good to somebody who may have read parts of the Bible at, at one time or another and, and never really studied it. And, and Douglas, the, the article's writer sounds like he knows what he's talking about because he references all, all this literature and all these documents. But, but they're all a pile of lies. And, and they don't hold up to, to any modicum of scholarship. Well, Douglas doesn't claim to be a Bible scholar, does he? Right. Uh, another mistake Paul, uh, another mistake Douglas makes again is the assumption that Paul's letters are his gospel. Paul's letters are not his gospel. The the gospel which Luke wrote is probably the best reflection of the gospel which Paul preached, and, and Paul consistently taught the gospel of the kingdom, and, and that's mentioned explicitly several times in Acts. Um, Acts 28.31 is, is one example of that. The, the, um, the gospel of the kingdom and, and the application of the law in the Christian era 
in, in the era of mercy and, and not of sacrifice, what which Christ quotes from Hosea, that that is where Paul spent the most time teaching in, in his epistles. So, so Clayton Douglas is just a liar. Again and again and again. Well, his whole comic book is basically just based on lies. All the premises are false. His so-called evidence is no evidence at all. Oh, the Dead Sea Scrolls refer to a comedian and a liar, and they warn us about him. Surely that must be Paul. Well, well Romans chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 are, are both very good examples of Paul's teaching the necessity of Christian embrace of God's laws and, and how they should be applied in the Christian era. But where we no longer um, judge our brother under the law, meaning we do not have the power to execute the judgments of the law. In other words, um, homosexuality calls for stoning. We don't have, in, in this world, what, which is actually a world run by the beast, it, it's a world run by the Antichrist, Christians no longer have the power to stone homosexuals like they did in the Old Testament. In fact, the government makes special laws protecting sexual deviance today. Well, it's a beast government. Well, absolutely. However, Paul does tell us that we are to separate ourselves from those people, and we have every right to separate ourselves from those people and not associate ourselves with them. And that's what Christians were, um, that was their best option in the first century AD under the Roman Empire, and it's our best option in this century under the, um, the, the American Beast Empire. So, so a lot of Paul's epistles were simply a practical application of Christianity. Right, it doesn't mean Paul was trying to set his own gospel. No, he, he upheld the law. Well, isn't it Douglas who's the lawless beast? As soon as Douglas found out what identity was really about and what scripture really entailed and that we're not a bunch of pot-smoking progressives, he ran. Right, because he did actually... Well, after a long association with Eli James, he, he thought that a pot-smoking progressive should fit right in. And somehow he was found out differently. <laughs> he found out differently after a few conversations with some real identity Christians. All right. Reference 70B. Douglas states, strangely, this man who was only shortly before murdering Jesus' disciples, now expected everyone to believe him to be infallible and above any criticism. Considering his satanic track record, it should be expected that Paul would have to prove himself through works or fruit if he was to be accepted. However, not only are there no works except for preaching for money, but this Satan never even publicly repents nor seeks forgiveness for his oppression. So he, he's gone from a Bolshevik to a, sat, a Satanist now. In <laughs> fact, he, he's now referring to him as Satan, but this Satan never even publicly repents. So now Paul is a Satan. 
Well, well, right. It's it's there's no end to Douglas's calumny. That there's um, we've seen here that Paul murdered no one. In, in earlier discussions of this, we saw that Paul was an and he he was acting as a legitimate lawful representative of the Judean government, and and that people who were considered heretics were brought to trial, and and, and were punished as heretics. Now. We know in hindsight that that behavior is wrong because they weren't heretics. The people that rejected Christ were the heretics in reality. Paul realized that, and when Paul realized that, he immediately repented. He immediately apologized. He apologized for the next 30 years. We've demonstrated um, either in part 20 or part 19 of this presentation, that Paul apologized many times. Correct me if I'm wrong, faith. but Paul died for his faith. Paul did die for his faith, right. Paul was executed by Nero because of his Christian profession. So Nero executed one of his own agents then, because as we're told, Paul was a Roman agent, a spy, a deserter from a legion who later became a spy. Well, well, right, Douglas. Every time he, he, he uh, you know, every par- every paragraph of Douglas's Paul bashing material basically magnifies the lies which were made in in the preceding paragraphs. He, he can't keep them consistent. Well, well, they're not con- they're not consistent, and, and they're certainly not consistent with Scripture. Right, but once you've told fifty, sixty, seventy, a hundred lies in one article and you get to lie 102, you don't know if you're contradicting lie 27. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's when, when, when you're lying, you're going to con- contradict yourself the more you run your mouth. In, um, earlier in this, in, in this presentation, it was said that, that an honest study of Paul's letters reveal no fault on Paul's part when his epistles are compared with the four Gospels in context, and that Paul never considered himself to be infallible. The later Roman popes considered themselves to be infallible, but Paul never considered himself to be infallible. And every time in his epistles where a situation arose that he did not have an example from Scripture to turn to and elucidate, he admitted that he could only give his own human opinion. And, and those admissions are found in, in Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 5, in Romans chapter 6, verse 19, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 40, where Paul admits that it is advice there on marriage in a time of persecution was his own advice and wasn't based on Scripture, but because he had no examples from Scripture to, to, um, to use as a reference for those situations. So he admitted over and over again, giving his own advice as a man, speaking from manhood, speaking after the manner of men, and, and, and that, that is basically what a, a Christian pastor should do. Well, Paul made it clear, not God, but I, Paul, say this to you. Right. And he was saying that because he had no example 
to cover that situation from the Old Testament. And that's if I'm asked questions all the time on on various um, social and and moral issues, and if I don't have if I have a reference from from Scripture which covers that situation, I'm simply going to say, look, here it is in in um, Judges chapter three, or here it is in Jeremiah chapter twenty five. This is what the word of God says, and, and that's the right thing to do. And if I don't have that, I can only give my best opinion based on my general knowledge of Scripture, but it's my opinion, and I have to make that clear. That's my job. It's my opinion, and I have to make it clear. Look, I don't have a, an exact Scripture which helps us with this situation where, where we have precise guidance from God, but here's my opinion, and then I'll tell you why I feel that way. And, and that's, that, that's the honest thing to do. That's the humble thing to do. And Paul did that all the time. He never played Pope. And, and there are many explicit examples of that. So, so he was never wrong. He never thought himself to be infallible. He did believe that the scripture was infallible. And when he had a scriptural reference that met the situation that, that he was facing, he gave it. With all authority, he gave it because he did believe that the word of God was infallible. But he never believed himself to be infallible. All right. Well, we can move on to um, reference seventy-one. But well, right, and and now we're beginning material which appeared in Clifton Emmerheiser's um, hundred and fifth teaching letter, which was printed in January of two thousand and seven. All right. Are you going to read the opening for the teaching letter, or shall we? No, just cut it's, it's, it doesn't really offer us anything. Right. Reference 71. Douglas states, the saved through the blood sacrifice of Jesus, Pauline school. It does not appear to be a tiny coincidence that canonical gospels make any such reference to atonement through God-human sacrifice. The notion that such pagan concepts had anything whatsoever to do with the teachings of Jesus Christ is the biggest lie ever told. Well, full stop here. If he's already insulted and abused Paul for allegedly offering salvation by works, and now he's mocking salvation by blood atonement of Jesus, then what, what is there? I guess there is no salvation, and whoever wrote this is just a Pharisee and a Sadducee who believes in no afterlife and nothing. Or, or, or maybe it's a Jew who believes the Jews are their own Messiah. Well, he, he, he already ha he's already condemned Paul for allegedly advocating salvation by good works and by the fruit of the works, and now he's attacking salvation by faith or by blood atonement. So what, what, what is there left? There's nothing. There is no salvation. But, well, of course not. And, and that there are two um, clear references that, that God would sacrifice himself that the Messiah, who, who the Hebrews believed would be God come in the flesh, because God professed, Yahweh professed over and over again, 
that he was their redeemer and that he would be their savior. And that's in many prophecies. Now, the clearest is Daniel chapter 9, and, and I'll read parts of Daniel 9.24 where it says um, that after, after the 70-week period in Jerusalem, and this is why, this is why so many people in Judea were expecting a Messiah at this time. This is why um, Simeon, the old man in the temple, in, in, in Luke chapter 2, was said to be waiting the, awaiting the consolation of Israel and was promised that he would not die until he saw the Savior of Israel. This is why um, Philip and, and Nathaniel, I, I believe it was Nathaniel that made the statement, said well, when the apostles first encountered Christ, that we have found the Messiah. This is why in John chapter 4, the woman at the well in Samaria, that woman at the well said, I know that Messiah comes, and when he comes, he shall teach us all things. There are many examples in the gospel of people independently and independently of the authorities of the temple. The authorities in the temple, they didn't know their ass on their elbow. They had no idea that these things were about to happen. But the common people that read the scripture, they did know. And there's several, I just mentioned three examples of it, of people expecting the Messiah at this time. And that's, for the most part, evidently because the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 9, dates the Messiah in, in, in prophetic terms that 70 weeks, which is interpreted to be weeks of years, each day representing a year, 490 years, from the rebuilding of the, of the walls and the city of Jerusalem would pass until the coming of the Messiah. And that at that time, the transgression would be finished, meaning the transgression of Israel, that sin would end. Now, sin is violation of the law. From that time, sin is no longer imputed to the children of Israel. It doesn't mean that we're going to stop screwing up. Well, the apostles ad admit that all men sin. We are all sinners. It doesn't mean that we're going to stop um, making mistakes and, and committing errors, what it means is that that sin would no longer be imputed with Christ, with the mercy of Christ, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is the purpose of the coming of the Messiah explained in part in Daniel 9.24. To finish the transgression to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. I and then in Daniel, well, well, the Jews don't understand it. They've never understood it. And in Daniel 9.26, it says, and after threescore and two weeks, referring to that 70-week period, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And, and it, it, it clearly states 
that the Messiah will be cut off. And, and this is something that, that Paul struggled to elucidate from the scriptures, from Daniel, and, and especially from the Psalms of David, that the Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah, had to come and die and be resurrected. Now here, Clayton Douglas is rejecting that idea, which means that he is... It is um, supporting and, and getting his information from the Jewish interpretation of Scripture, which rejects the Messiah. Now, in, in, in John, in, in the Gospel of John, in John one twenty nine, we see the exclamation that God, um, behold, the, I'm sorry, it, it's um, John one twenty nine. behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That statement referred to Christ. The Lamb of God means that he would be the one who would be sacrificed, that he was the Messiah of Daniel chapter 9, who is going to be cut off, but not for himself. So what, if we ask Douglas, what did Christ come to do? I guess there is no answer. He came to do nothing. He died and he's lost to us for all time. He's meaningless and irrelevant and we should just forget about him and move on in life. Well, well, it's evident in many scriptures, in, in, in Jeremiah, in Hosea, that, that um, the children of Israel, being the wife of Yahweh, were under penalty of death for adultery. But that Yahweh promised them that they would always be a nation and that they would not die, meaning that they would not suffer that penalty of death. Paul explains in Romans chapter 7 that a wife is released only from the law of the husband upon the death of the husband. Right. Doug Douglas is a child of adultery, so he can't possibly understand this. The law is not in him. It's fully evident in Scripture that Yahweh, in order to keep his own law and spare the children of Israel for the sake of the promises made to the fathers, that he himself had to die as a man so that Israel would be free from the law. That is the reason for the death of Christ on the cross and the salvation of Israel through his blood. A Jew does not understand that. No Jew understands that. And beyond their not understanding, they cannot understand. The, the damn shame is that very few Christians understand that. All right. Shall I finish reference 71? Because I kind of stopped in the middle there. The impression that the unsuspecting Christian is left with is that all the prophets had been awaiting this sacrificial lamb to come as God incarnate to atone for sin. There is literally not one statement in all gospel accounts. It is Paul and his companions, rather than John the Baptist, Jesus, James, and their community, who introduced this concept of redemption through unsubstantiated faith, simultaneous with acts of lawlessness. This left brain, right brain tweaking, courtesy of the Pharisees, creates Christian schizophrenia, more Jewish psychobabble. 
Well, well, right, and the the Jewish cycle battle is right from Clayton Douglas. At right, he says there's literally not one statement in all gospel accounts, and then he goes on to talk about John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist never wrote anything, did he? No, John the Baptist um, left us no writing that we know of. There's, right. there's no writing from John the Baptist that that is known to be his. I'm sure, though, that Douglas is so ignorant, he thinks that the Gospel of John was written by John the Baptist. Well, well probably. It's apparent here that Clayton Douglas is a proselyte if he's not actually a Jew. The person that wrote this has to be a Jew. It's the, this is the full Jewish argument um, against Christianity, is that the, the denial of the Messiah, that's the root of... Um, the Antichrist attitude in the first century and, and today. And um, Clayton Douglas is recycling the same arguments that the Jews used against Paul and the rest of the apostles in the first century. Like the Pharisees who claimed to be experts in the law, they were consistently reproved through Scripture by Christ. And, and, and Clayton Douglas has very likely never even read the Bible and the person that wrote this probably doesn't have an understanding of the Bible from a Christian perspective because he certainly does seem to be a Jew. That, the, um, that Yahweh himself would walk among us is a matter of prophecy, which is seen as early as Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 through 12. And, and there are dozens and dozens of messianic prophecies throughout the Bible, which foretell quite clearly many of the events of Christ's sojourn here. Um, Isaiah chapter 8, um, verses 13 through 17, uh, I would probably, um, probably like to read them. Sanctify Yahweh of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, and fall, and be broken, and be snared, and be taken, Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon Yahweh that hides his face in the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. And, and this is a, a direct statement, basically, that God is going to walk amongst us, that we should wait for him. Of course, this was 700 years before the ministry of Christ. And, 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 and this is a direct statement that many people in Jerusalem were going to reject him. It's just one, it's just one prophecy. I, I mean, we could go to Isaiah 1, um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, that they dwell in the land of the shadow, they, 
they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in a day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be burning and fuel with fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us is a son given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with, well, with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts shall perform this. And, and these prophecies in Isaiah and, and prophecies throughout Isaiah of the coming of a Messiah, of the coming of God in the flesh, unto us a child is born, he will be called the mighty God. Those, the, those statements, those assertions that Jesus Christ fulfilled this at the time appointed by Daniel are throughout the New Testament. The statements in Psalms, the Messianic prophecies, that this Messiah was to be punished, but was to, to, to give over his life on behalf of his sheep, smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And, and, and all of these prophecies which were made concerning the ministry of Christ were cited by all of these apostles, by all of the Gospels, by all of the epistle writers in reference to Christ. Douglas is denying all of this and claiming that Paul invented it, and that is the Jewish position on Christianity. The Jews totally disregard all of these prophecies in, in reference to a Messiah and oh. claim that Paul invented all of this. Well, don't and, they have to, though? I mean, they're not going to come out and say, yes, the Messiah came, he was your Messiah, your true Israel, we're just usurpers and liars, and we're our own Messiah, we serve our father Satan, and that's why we killed your Messiah, so he couldn't tell your people the truth of their identity. They're not going to come out and say that. They're going to concoct a comic book, a fairy tale, a novel, and it's going to read like what Douglas has written here. Well, well, this is the mainstream Jewish position against Christianity today, that all of this was invented by Paul, and that Paul is the founder of Christianity. And Douglas, the Paul basher, is repeating it. He's not really bashing Paul, he's bashing Christianity. His attempt is to discredit Paul of Tarsus in order to dismantle and destroy Christianity. That's the real root of Paul bashing. And anybody who's a Paul basher has fallen victim to it. To one degree or another. Reference 72 then? Bill, 
you have anything? Yeah, yeah right. There, there's more we could speak about. We could speak about Christ's great bread of life discourse in, in John chapter 6 and, and, and many other aspects of the Gospels outside of Paul, which proved that Christ was to die on behalf of his people. And, and, and that's mentioned explicitly in the Gospel of John. But the scoffers, of course, aren't part of that people. Well, well, right. The scoffers aren't part of that people. But, but there, there, there's much more evidence in Scripture that Christ had to die on behalf of the children of Israel. And, and, and the scoffers are usually not the children of Israel. It's just that many of the children of Israel are usually deceived by the scoffers. It, it's a shame, but it happens. Douglas is denying the essence of Christianity, what, which Paul was only charged with bringing to the proper recipients, which he did. All right. Reference 72, Douglas states, the direct consequences from this Christian schizophrenia can be seen throughout Europe and the United States of America today. Although the scriptures teach us that God's laws are indeed engraved forevermore upon our Israelite hearts, I'm sure the Jew who was writing that chuckled when he wrote Our Israelite Hearts. Right. We instead listen to the traditions which teach us that lawlessness and disobedience are A-OK. Not to worry, you'll get into heaven too. This is all the result of super apostle Paul Saul of Tarsus. Now, full stop here. They've already made it clear that Jesus is lost to us forever. There basically is no afterlife. There's no salvation by grace or faith, no salvation by works. So why are they talking about heaven? They don't believe in it. If Jesus is lost to us forever, what hope do we have for an eternity? Well, well, the Jews have to talk about these things in order to discredit them to Christians, right? So, so the Christians run along and become good pagans and make the Jews happy. Right? Yeah, That's basically the bottom line. The author of this article doesn't believe in heaven, which it's all, you know, all the same to me because he's not going to be there. He's going right. to be in the lake of fire. Well, well, the real Christian schizophrenia is the idea that the Jews are the Israelites and, and the Christians are really goyim who, who are in on, in, in on a game and along for a free ride if they happen to be um, obedient little goyim and, and do things like get circumcised and, and wear yarmulkes in Catholic church. The, the, um, I'm only being half sarcastic. The, 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 the real Christian schizophrenia is caused by not realizing that the, the, the Bible is a racial book. It, it's a racial book representing a belief system which only applies to the white race. And all, all of those things cause Christian schizophrenia, but all of those things are caused by an infection called the Jew. The Jew is the infection who has caused all of this Christian schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a typically Jewish disease, and the Jew is the author of schizophrenia, in my esteem. When the Christian realizes that salvation is racial, that Israelite is genetic, that Antichrist and Satan are also genetic, and basically Jew is a genetic disorder passed down from generation to generation. It's not even a race. It's really just a, a genetic disorder. It's, it's a genetic 
corruption. Well, well, right. And um, it's that causes Christian schizophrenia. That the idea that they, they could be bad Israelites and good Jews, that causes Christian schizophrenia. It wasn't taught by Christ. Christ said that the tree was known by its fruit, and Christ said that a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and that a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Well, would you expect an apple tree to produce manure? Well, well absolutely not. And you, you wouldn't expect a smoldering, rotting, stinking pile of, you know, excrement to produce something that's a bountiful harvest. I don't think the the Jews anywhere in the world, they've never really produced anything worth noting, have they? Well, I mean, it, it might be worth noting, but it's not worth preserving. I should put it that well, way. Well, they've only produced corruption because a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Well, they're the world's oldest corruptors, aren't they? Well, well, you know, we've seen Douglas talk about, who, who talks about Christian schizophrenia, and, and we've seen that he's a follower of John S. Spong. And, and he must have read John Spong at length, that because he quotes from John Spong extensively in his attacks on Paul. Yet, we've seen that John Spong is a very liberal theologian, a promoter of race mixing, homosexuality, and an embracer of the Antichrist Jews. Right, but that, that's everything that Douglas believes in. Douglas is a progressive, and if this were the 60s, he'd be locked, you know, he'd have arms locked with John Spong on some integration march in Virginia. Well, well, the truth is that Clayton Douglas is the comedian posing as a Christian. And John He's, Spong is the liar. And, and, and they're the men that Dead Sea Scrolls were talking about. And I say that with my tongue only partially in my cheek. All right. Are we on reference 73 now? Yes. Douglas states, and yet another typical Judaist contortion, Paul Saul proclaims all opposition to him is devilish. He suggests that those who oppose him include counterfeit apostles and dishonest workers. I'm sorry, I just can't help but chuckle because he uses the phrase Judaist contortion. Their entire article is a Judaist contortion. Right. It's almost too much. It is too much. This is Jewry 101. Accuse everybody else of everything you yourself are actually doing. When you're persecuting people, accuse them of persecuting you. And when you're when you're manufacturing lies about people, you man, you accuse them of manufacturing lies about you. Right. And when you're planning for war against everybody and all your neighbors, accuse them of planning for war. Today we rule Germany. Tomorrow the world. I don't think a single German ever uttered those words. You know, in two Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul calls those who opposed not merely himself as false apostles and deceitful workers. Paul was calling those who opposed the gospel of Christ as false apostles and deceitful workers. Clayton Douglas is taking that 
that those charges of Paul's out of context. Paul wasn't using them at people who opposed Paul. Paul was using them towards people who opposed the gospel of Christ. He was calling the Judaizers of the first century false apostles and deceitful workers. Right. In, uh, okay. in the revelation given to John in the message to the assembly at Ephesus, and Paul founded that assembly, it says, Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them to be liars. Now, Paul founded the assembly at Ephesus. That's a, a, a fact of Christianity that not even Clayton Douglas contested. Clayton Douglas admitted it earlier in his articles. And if Paul founded that Christian assembly, Paul could not be the false apostles which the assembly at Ephesus had tried and found to be liars. Yet the assembly at Ephesus was um, criticized in the Revelation for having left their first love. And if Paul was the founder of that Christian assembly, which nobody doubts, which nobody contests, then Paul must have been the first love that the Christians at Ephesus had, had abandoned and were being criticized for having abandoned. Paul must have been that first love because he's the one that introduced them to Christianity and founded the assembly. So now the Revelation talks about the same false apostles in Ephesus that Paul was talking about. And, and hypocritically, Douglas doesn't talk, complain about the Revelation talking about false apostles, right? I, I, I mean, it, it's the, the, the New Testament proves that the ministry of Paul of Tarsus was true. And any reading of Paul's epistles in context, and in their historical context, prove that they are true, and, and leave Paul basically blameless. And, and um, Clayton Douglas is basically taking Paul's own words out of context so that he could make up another story. All right. Well, this is just one big story, isn't it? I mean, this is a fairy tale. It's, it's a fable. We should call this Douglas's Fables. Well, well, right, and all Paul bashers should, um, you know, I, I wrote an article on, on Christogenier a few years ago, and um, I kind of forgot that I had written it, and, and the article is entitled, A Line in the Sand, and I posted this, it, it's on the opinion menu under um, discussion on the top menu at Christogenia, and, um, the lie in the sand, to me, at that time when I wrote this article, was against Paul Bashers and explaining that, that by criticizing and slandering Paul of Tarsus, Christians were really doing the work of the Jews. They were being whores for the Jews. 
and they were helping to divide and discredit their own New Testament on behalf of the Jews, which is the goal of the Jews. And if they didn't really take the time to understand Paul's epistles, then they would easily fall to the calumny of the Jews. And, and, and I still have that, that, that same opinion today holds true. All right. Should I um, finish up reference 73? He suggests that those who oppose him include counterfeit apostles and dishonest workers, 2 Corinthians 11.13, and even Satan's servants disguised as servants of uprightness. Well, that sounds like the Jews. 2 Corinthians 11.14-15. He wishes that his opponents would mutilate themselves. Galatians 5.12. The advocates of the Old Testament were deemed self-interested people who just wished to boast about their success. Galatians 6.13, wished to stir up disagreements. Romans 16.17, and who preached differently to Paul out of malice and rivalry or out of jealousy, not in sincerity. Philippians 1.15-19. So if Douglas is this well-versed in the Bible that he can just cite all these passages... Where does he get off saying not once did Christ talk about an atonement when we were able to name a half dozen just like that? Well, well, right, exactly. And, and Paul, you know, here again, what well, we have Douglas taking things out of context. Paul did wish that his opponents were would, would mutilate themselves because his opponents were trying to get the Greeks bound to the ritual practice of circumcision which is no longer necessary. Right. So he's basically saying if you, if, if you want to engage in circumcision and mutilation, go do it yourself. Right. That's all he's saying was that you should go cut your own pecker off, basically, in, in um, more modern vernacular. And I, I find it interesting. He, he throws out these chapters and verses, but he never cites any of them. He never types them out. He's hoping that we've given him a sort of respect for his authoritative position that he's taken on as the author of this article, and that we're just going to take his word that, oh, he put Romans 16, 17 here to back him up, so that must be what it means. You know, Romans 16, 17 backs him up, and we're not actually going to go read it and see, does it really back him up? Well, well it's really funny that, that, that Douglas condemns Paul for um, calling his opposition Satan's servants disguised as servants of uprightness, and then Douglas enlists men like John Spong to, to um, give witness against Paul of Tarsus. And if anybody here is a, in, in, in this discussion is a servant of Satan disguised as a servant of righteousness, it's John Spong. Right, and not only he's, he's claiming here, how dare Paul call his opponents servants of Satan. They've already called Paul Satan incarnate, period. They called Paul Satan. It doesn't get much more intense than that. Well, well no, I guess it doesn't. I mean, what else are they going to call Paul? They, they've thrown everything in the kitchen sink at him, haven't they? Well, well, that's the idea is to to, to um, 
come up with that that was the idea i believe behind these articles and why they were so long what was to dredge up every accusation possible hoping that that some of them would stick in the minds of the reader You know, Peter's complaints concerning false apostles and false teachers were much the same as Paul's. Peter was making the exact same complaints. Compare um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 to Galatians 5.13, and we basically have both men um, talking about the same thing, talking about the, the same Judaizers. And, and that's what Paul was saying at Galatians 5.12, was he was wishing that certain of those Judaizers would rather mutilate themselves because they were trying to foist the old covenant circumcision upon Christians. And circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, which was no longer necessary under the new covenant. And that, too, is a matter of prophecy. And several times in the... Several times in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that our hearts should be circumcised um, rather than our generals, of course. And, and, and that the, the, the fact that we, we have circumcised genitals doesn't necessarily mean that we're obedient to God. It, it was a sign of the Old Covenant, which is totally unnecessary under the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, it's our hearts which should be circumcised. Christians, relieved of the burdens of ritual and, 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 and burdens of the flesh of the Old Covenant, Christians should willingly be obedient to the things that matter in the law of God, to, to love and care for one's brother, and, and, and to living a, a clean and moral and upright life. Those things are much more important the Jew is more concerned with meeting the rituals and fulfilling the rituals so that he could lead a filthy and sinful life and, and get himself a, a ticket maybe out of the lake of fire. But, but I, I don't think he's going to make it. Douglas defends the advocates of the Old Testament not realizing that to advocate the Old Testament covenant and, and, and to insist on clinging to the rituals of the Old Testament is really to deny Christ and to deny the, the Old Covenant itself because the Old Covenant itself tells us that it will be done away with in the new. So, so his, his attitude is entirely Jewish. Even with all of the jokes, even with all of the slanders which he makes, laid aside, even with all of the, 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 the lies that, and, and the, the facets of this novel that he invents laid aside, Clayton Douglas's attitude towards Christianity is entirely Jewish. He's a Jew. Religiously, he's a Jew. And, and that's the, the, the source of Paul bashing from the beginning lied with the Judaizers, lied with the Pharisees, who didn't want to let go of their control over the people which they had through the dispensation of rituals. Well, you know, if it were 1950-some years ago, 
Douglas would be part of the conspiracy vowing to kill Paul no matter what. Absolutely. Reference 74 then? Yes. Douglas states, did you know that Paul was quite preoccupied with taking donations and did you know that he felt it necessary to answer a charge that he was embezzling the money? As an aside, I'm sure if Paul didn't answer a charge that he was embezzling the money, Douglas would say Paul didn't even see fit to answer the charge. He was embezzling the money. Yeah, this is funny. And interestingly, though, I think it's rather telling. If Paul's really a crook and he's embezzling money, why would he write about it in his, quote, gospel? I had to answer a charge I was embezzling money. Wouldn't he just omit it and make no mention of it so future generations never had any clue? Second Corinthians 8:20 through 21 shows the suspicion with which he had to contend. He must claim the authority of the Jerusalem community for the validity of his teachings to the Gentiles. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. And he writes that they asked nothing more than that we should remember to help the poor. This was some 17 years after his conversion. For as he states, he was in no hurry to confer with any human being as he had been selected in his mother's womb for this work. Galatians 1, 15 through 17. Another little narcissistic Pauline twist. Even so, he was fearful that he and his gift might not be accepted by the Jerusalem leaders writing. By the Jerusalem leaders writing. I pray that the aid I am carrying to Jerusalem will be acceptable to God's holy people. Romans 15.31 So again, with the psychobabble narcissism charge. So whoever wrote this must style himself an amateur psychologist. That, that's a Jewish vocation. In, in, right, I, I mean, they, they seem fit to diagnose someone they've never interacted with and they're reading 2,000-year-old writings, maybe 80 pages, 90 pages written by the man, and they want to diagnose him as a latent homosexual, a thinly closeted homosexual, a crook, a thief, a liar, a narcissist, and a schizophrenic. I mean, well, well, right. It's, it's, it's all um, New Age, Jewish-type um, accusations based on Jewish psychology. Oh, if you if you dislike homosexuals, you must be a closet homosexual. You must have um, latent homosexual tendencies because you you're a homophobia. Yeah, you have homophobia. That that's all New Age Jewish psychology. It, it's all the psychology of the, of the lie. That the psychology of the Jew lie. It, it's all the, the the psychology of twisting the truth inside out. And and using that to accuse people who, who stand against your own favorite perversions. It's pop psychology at its finest, and that's exactly what 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 the the Jew is um is engaged in throughout our civilization, throughout our society. That that's how the Frankfurt School has um, been so successful in dismantling the, the patriarchal structure of, of Western society. And, and we fall for it because they, that they turn the truth inside out and, and, and use it to promote their perversions.
if you're against homosexuals, then you're a homophobe, and if you're a homophobe, you must have latent homosexual tendencies yourself. That, that's, the, that, that's the typical Jewish ploy. And they've been successful at selling that to the Goyim. They really have. The, um, that, that Paul embezzled anything, what we've seen is a false accusation and, and a lie by Clayton Douglas, who, who has taken advantage of, of a poor trans, that, that poor translation into King James, where, where Paul said that he, he robs no one. He was actually denying having um, taken anything from anybody dishonestly. And, and of course, Paul, Douglas used that as basically proof that Paul had robbed people because Paul denied robbing people. Just like if you deny um, being a homosexual and, and, and you have a dislike for sexually deviant behavior, you must be a homosexual. It's the same psychology. It's... Um, that now Douglas is removing 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 20 and 21 from their context, and, and these verses really have nothing to do with money, that they only discuss the selection of competent ministers by the Assembly of Corinth. And I'm going to demonstrate that by reading um, the Christogenian New Testament from 2 Corinthians 8.16, so, so please suffer through this with me. Now, now, gratitude is to Yahweh, by whom that same diligence is being given in the heart of Titus on your behalf, seeing that the encouragement he indeed has received, now being more diligent, voluntarily he has gone out to you. And we have sent along with him that brother, of whom there is approval in the good message throughout all of the assemblies. And not only, but our fellow traveler has also been handpicked by the assemblies to be endued with this favor, in which he would serve under us to the honor of the prince or the Lord himself, and our eagerness is avoiding this. Not anyone would find fault with us in this strength, meaning this brother that was hand-picked by the assemblies, which is serving under us. Indeed, we have noble intentions, not only in the presence of the prince, but also in the presence of men. So in context, the verses which, Paul, which Douglas claims have to do with, with money have nothing at all to do with money. Well, we've been over the accusation that Paul was stealing already. This isn't the first time they've brought it up. Well, well, no, he keeps recycling the same arguments from 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 slightly different angles and with slightly new twists. Now, now the term "this strength" in 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 that um in, in that passage refers to that unnamed brother, and, and that's also shown at two Corinthians twelve eighteen, who was selected to assist Paul and Titus, and he was probably one of the men mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, even though he was unnamed here. And many suppose, and it may be correct to do so, that such men were selected to ensure 
that the funds which were donated by the assemblies in Corinth were employed properly in Jerusalem. And this is to Paul's credit that Paul was asking these assemblies to take up a collection for these people in Jerusalem, and he also had these assemblies select their own minister from, their, from among their own number to see that this money reached the people in Jerusalem. Paul was taking um, precautions that these funds would be managed directly by the people that were donating them. And what 2 Corinthians 8 verses 20 and 21 are all about are a commendation of the assemblies for selecting someone who is capable of doing that. That's all they were about. Paul should be credited with having taken this precaution. This proves that Paul wasn't trying to steal anything. He was asking these assemblies to make this donation, and then he was asking them to select somebody to deliver it from among their own number. And in that manner, he couldn't be accused of any wrongdoing. So for what Paul did right, Clayton Douglas is, is um, taking difficult language out of context and, and trying to make an accusation against Paul, while, while the context certainly shows that Paul was doing nothing wrong and, and was actually taking precautions so that he could not be wrongly accused. Clayton Douglas is the comedian in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? All right. Reference 75? Yes. Douglas states, did you know it was Saul Paul who taught one person may have faith enough to eat any kind of food, another less strong will eat only vegetables. <laughs> it was his message which convinced the world that it was now perfectly okay to eat well just about anything you felt like eating in direct violation of God's dietary laws. God's dietary laws were not handed down to you to make your life difficult. God gave them to you to protect you from sickness and disease. Paul didn't care much about what God wanted. Let them eat pork became Paul's motto. That, that, this is news to me. And so God's people became sick and confused. More poisoning, courtesy of the serpent. So yeah, Paul, yeah, okay. this, this is all a fabrication, right? This is all mental poisoning, courtesy of the serpent. But Right, it's all a total fabrication. It's all a total lie. And and it's it's um very easily disproven. It, it's um it, it's pretty sad that Christians don't very well understand Romans chapters fourteen and one Corinthians chapter ten. The the um Clayton Douglas is fabricating a lie. Paul never spoke about the eating of pork. He never spoke about it. And never mind Douglas's false claim that Paul approved of it, pork was not food. And where Paul talks about food, well, swine was not considered food by the apostles. So how could Paul be talking about swine? The scripture to which Douglas refers here is found in Romans chapter 14. And he apparently paraphrased Romans 14, 
verse 3, and I will read that so that we can see that for ourselves. Romans 14, verse 3, let him that eats despise him that eats not. I'm sorry, let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God has received him. But Paul is talking about food. Notice that um, Douglas doesn't state that he's paraphrasing Romans 14.3. But because Paul said that all foods may be eaten, does that mean that he advocated eating pork? I would say that he certainly did not. Pork because if, to find pork, food. if pork is not normally considered food, then it cannot be included in the category of all foods. Even if today we consider pork to be food, it wasn't considered food to Hebrews in the first century. Pork was not considered food to first century Judeans. And it was not considered food to many first century Greeks. Now, earthworms and cockroaches are edible. And it could be argued that they contain nourishment. Now, there's a lot of people in the world that would consider earthworms and cockroaches to be food. Just go to China if you don't believe me. But well, and, you know, and Bill, in, in the Congo, the Negroes there consider other Negroes to be food. But, well, right. I would not eat them, and I would not consider them to be food, even if people of other cultures do. Neither would I consider swine to be food, even though most of the people around me today consider swine to be food. I don't consider it to be food. It's not to be eaten. So if I say that I love all foods, I'm not talking about pig. I'm not talking about pork because pork is not food. There's actually a paper on Christogenia entitled Pork is Not Food. The um, Paul's statement in, in Romans chapter 14, I do not consider that as any sort of encouragement or commission to eat swine because I understand that Paul is talking about food and swine is not food. As we can fully discern from Romans chapter 14 and from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and here's the truth of this matter. Early Christians were at odds as to whether they should eat any flesh at all. And that's because of the culture and the way that animals were slaughtered in ancient Greece and in ancient Rome. And not because anything in the scripture promoted vegetarianism. Christians were afraid to eat meat at all. And therefore, a lot of them would only eat vegetables. If we're ignorant of Greco-Roman history and culture, we cannot discern the context in which the Gospels and the epistles of the New Testament were written. We just can't do it if we don't understand Roman and, and Greek culture and history from that period. And, and, and Clayton Douglas is surely ignorant of that. Greek temples 
and Roman temples were not merely places where pagan rituals and the worship of false gods were conducted. They also served as centers for the community. They served as lounges and restaurants. They served as centers for organized prostitution. They served as banks. And they served in in other capacities. Greek city dwellers took many of their meals at the pagan temples. They ate, they drank, they often participated in other activities in which the temples were engaged. Gambling, entertainment, things like that. Markets were attached to the temples, just like we see animals sold in the court in the temple in Jerusalem. Markets were attached to the Greco-Roman temples where animals could be purchased to make sacrifices to the idol. We see the same practice being done by the Edomites in Jerusalem in the temple, and Christ condemned them for it because it was a pagan practice. Now, animals could be purchased from these markets and sacrifices made to the idol, or meat from sacrificed animals could be purchased to be eaten. Now, some of these practices were even conducted at the temple in Jerusalem, and we see that in John 2.15. That was a dilemma which Christians of the first century in Greek and Rome had because it was difficult to find meat available for sale in the cities of Greek and Rome which had not been sacrificed to an idol which had not been sacrificed on the altar of a false pagan god. And that was the reason why Paul was talking about the eating of meat in Romans chapter 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But it had nothing to do with pork. It had to do with meat that was, would otherwise be edible, but which had been sacrificed to idols. You know, there's two words that describe food, which are used to describe food in the New Testament, and most Christians don't, and most Christian pastors can't tell you the difference between the two words. And the two words are these, common and unclean. And most Christian pastors cannot make a distinguishment, and sometimes the King James translation of the Bible confounds the two terms. But something that was unclean was forbidden by the law to be eaten. You couldn't eat it at all. Something that was common was a different story. Something that was common was something that could be eaten under the law, but which was treated in a manner which would make it inedible to a Hebrew. Okay, if the animal was slaughtered by strangling, it was considered inedible. It was common. They wouldn't eat it. If an animal was sacrificed on the altar of a strange god, it was considered un, it was considered inedible because it was common. It was profane. So things that are common 
and can't be eaten for that manner are simply things that are normally considered food, but that are mistreated, and therefore the Hebrews wouldn't eat it. Things that were unclean are things which are forbidden by the law and aren't considered food. That's the difference. Most pastors can't tell you that, and that's a damn shame. Paul, in Romans chapter 14 and in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is talking about things that were common, things that were mishandled, and specifically meats which were sacrificed on the altars of pagan idols. That's why a lot of Christians wouldn't eat them. They would only eat vegetables. It had nothing to do with pork. And in fact, and and Strabo in Strabo's geography tells you this, it was... um, Various tribes of Greeks in in various Greek cities would not eat pork and considered it unclean. Now, a lot of Greeks did eat it, and the Romans, most Romans did eat it. But even certain temples of Aphrodite would not accept pork for sacrifice. So not all the Greeks considered pork clean or, 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 or edible, and a lot of them considered it inedible. So, so, in order to understand those statements of Paul's in Romans and Corinthians and to understand them properly, the historical context has to be elucidated and understood. What the practice was in ancient Greek and Rome, why the flesh would be considered common by Christians, all of that can only be understood with an understanding of the culture. All right. Which Douglas evidently doesn't have at all. And, and with that, we'll, we'll, we'll hold off here and, and break at this point. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue my, my, my exposition and commentary on the book of Acts, um, which will probably take me a good part of the next few months on my Friday night program. Uh, it took me five weeks to do three chapters and, and um, I'm going to commence with Acts chapter 4 this coming week. And, and I'm going to have a, a real good time when I do Paul. And, and I'm going to do a new commentary on the, on the epistles of Paul um, as soon as I'm through with Acts. I might squeeze another minor prophet in between, Zephaniah or, or, or something like that. But, but um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with Paul. And, and it's probably going to take me... In, well into 2014 to, to, to do a commentary on Paul on, on my Friday night program. Yahweh willing, I will do that this year. All right. well, this year and next, right? We'll, um, we'll, we'll break here, and, and thank you for joining me well, tonight. Douglas's ship is rapidly sinking. Well, well, Douglas's ship, I think we sunk it 18 weeks ago, but... but um, that this stuff has to be discussed, and, and these arguments that these arguments have to be um, have to be presented and, and and defeated because they're they're all false arguments. They're all based on misunderstandings of scripture. They're based on misunderstandings of culture. That they're based on perversions of things that Paul said and and really didn't say. I can't even say it's based on a misunderstanding because, you know, Douglas the Comedian, Graeber the Fool, 
the um, brother Nazariah or whoever wrote the article, the liar, you know, we've got the comedian, the liar, and the fool, they understand what they're talking about. They're just lying and they're covering up things that don't go along with the argument they're hoping to shape. You, you know, it, it's that they do understand a good part of it. Douglas doesn't understand any of it. it. It's I believe that the Jew that wrote this article does understand a good part of it, but I really don't believe that he actually understands Christianity from a Christian, from right. a real Christian viewpoint. Well, no, no Jew could understand Christianity. Right. All right, then, next week. Well, praise Yahweh, and thank you for joining me, and, and we'll do Against the Paul Bashers, part 22. All right, praise Yahweh. Good night. Next week. Good night.